Say that podcast for your big questions and your real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of the Mission USA. Hanging by a thread. He's doing what he can. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. I'm feeling great. I'm the picture of health. Really? really? And happiness. And do you know why? Because of my superior, superior spirituality. <laughs> Really thought there was going to be another word following superior there, and I'm very relieved <laughs> that there wasn't. Also joining us all the way from our Christian City, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Based on Jed's food tweets lately, I would feel that he would not be the model of health. No, definitely not. That's all an act. Jed yeah. only eats kale. <laughs> he tweets he tweets about horrific Burger King cheese things, just because that's his brain. Yeah, if you if you believe that, I got a bridge to sell you. You could cut open Jed's veins. Pure Mountain Dew with puddles of ranch dressing would come pouring out. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah, there's almost no doubt about that. Well, we're in the middle of the holiday season. How, yep. How's everybody feeling? Great, great, great. We, it sounds sure. like we're all hating life. Should we just move on? It's the most wonderful time of the year. I, uh, and before we do anything, we have an important update now. Um, we have a, a podcast superfan, Miss Amanda. Uh, attends a local church here in Chicago, mm. came to the bridge on mm. Tuesday, mm. sought me out, mm. and she said, specifically, this is what she said, what's going on with the fish pills? Okay, the people want to know. People wow. want to know. They're, they're excited. They're tracking the progress. They probably have a chart of some kind. They're, well, Glenn, let me press the question. Yeah. What is going on with the fish pills? Well, thank you. I'm glad that you brought that up because the people really want to know. They do. There's a lot of buzz. Well, one person asked about it politely, so that probably means everybody ever wants it's to know. Like a, it's, it's, fish it's, pills are trending, okay? Thank you. Yes. Trending. There's a lot of heat yes. on fish the, pills. The, the fish pills. Here's the thing is I've been taking a regular fish pills, okay? Yeah. That's, that's, you know. Because I'm not a health food person. No. I'm not that guy. You sure. know, that's not my world. You're okay? not eating kale. No. So I started going in there yeah. little by little, yeah. you know, and I'm taking it to the next level. Yeah. You know, so I tell them, you know, you got to, we got to go from where we're at. We got to go up a notch. Well, so I've been just doing regular fish pills, okay. but they have these other fish pills that have this stuff in it. Uh, it's called curcumin. Wow. Okay. And that spices it up and takes it to the next level. Clearly it would. It's like turbocharged. Okay. Extremely fishy okay. with the omegas. All right. They do something to the fish before they process the pills? I think they feed them this and then they squeeze them in okay. a it's press. Like, it's, like, it's like Kobe beef or something? Yeah. Exactly like yeah. that. But also like the way they make wine where women step on the fish yeah. and squeeze out the oil. Okay. It's just like I'm that. I'm guessing. I'm yeah, guessing. It sounds right. It sounds right. So. Do you uh, gain all your knowledge of mechanical processes from old I Love Lucy episodes? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So I'm taking the fish, supercharged fish pills at this point. Right. I'm on a whole nother level. Yeah. So that's that's the fish pill update. And this okay. brings up a very important point to you, the listener. If you ever are lucky enough to encounter Glenn in uh, kind of real life here, um, he will take you saying one thing in passing as everybody is excited now. That's right. The world is a buzz, <laughs> and they want to know. Yeah. So use that power carefully is all I'm that's saying. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Well, let's get on with the whole deal. And uh, You just want to get straight to the wisdom? Yeah. Sure, it sounds you know, good. I have more me. fish pill updates. 
Nope, that's the whole, you know, uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep people informed as we go. I, I know you will. People sure. will probably keep like a journal. Sure. They write down what's the status. <laughs> of, well, the hot right. holiday gift this year is the 365-day fish pill journal. That's right. So. Yeah, that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Go to your Christian bookstore, get one of those. So it has a fish on the cover, but there like the Jesus fish. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think Ichthus pill. I think there's a marketing opportunity there we can get to. Yeah. Sure. Later, but for now, we did get kind of a late start in the record, so we'll get into it. If you have a question for us, you can send Wait a second, I declared what to say. Well, that was unforeseen. I, I didn't see it coming. Uh, here's the I thing. Liked, I like the very considerate, I'm going to yell this soccer goal style, but I am going to modulate Back the volume the not yeah. to blow people's ears out. That's, that's very next level. That's yeah. how I just, you know what? It's that's like, because Glenn is a radio professional. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Theater of the mind. Uh, that's right. That's good. Well, you know, we're not on the radio. Is. We are on the radio. So not right now. All right. Probably. Now. We're recording this now. Now yeah. people listening to it, who knows when they're listening <laughs> to it. It's like, it's like, could be the 2017. <laughs> it could be 3017. Sure. Eventually wow. there will be an episode of this show. Where it, we don't get to anything else than Glenn just doing old bits to annoy <laughs> the rest of us. <laughs> so, well, they're old bits to you, but when people listen to us in the future, they might be new to them. It might be, yeah. That's not how that works. So, no. um, it'd be like antique bits. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're already vintage. antique bits, <laughs> they're retro. <laughs> so, here's what happens uh, people, uh, this is another thing people are abuzz about, uh, is. The new holiday that we created, uh, in this, uh, because I don't know if you guys know this, these holidays are under attack. Yeah, they are. There's what you call a war on Christmas. Yes. Right. We started a war on the war on Christmas. Yeah. Because you can't do that to Christmas. Absolutely. Counterattack. So. The counterinsurgency on Christmas? Exactly right. We couldn't Preemptive find. strike. Yeah, we, yeah, that's what we tried to do. And then we couldn't find any war on Christmas. Right. To war at. Yes. And that it looked made up, but that's how you know it's real. Yeah. It's because it's a conspiracy. Yes. It's a shadow war on Christmas. That's right. So we're we're dealing with that. Right. Okay. So part of this is we felt the need to invent our own holiday. Yep. And this holiday, ladies and gentlemen, is my favorite day of the year, Gripesgiving. That's right. It's a magical time. It's the day after yeah. Thanksgiving. And Jed, why don't you give us sort of a recap of what Gripesgiving entails? Well, just, and, and this is not a made-up thing. No, we're this is, Oh, it's definitely a made-up thing, but we did it. We, we made it up, but it happened in real life. We, we've done this every year for several years. We come together, you know, in your ideal situation on Thanksgiving, you, you come together, you know, in home and hearth and family and, you know, giving thanks for your many blessings and whatnot. Uh, Gripesgiving, the day after Thanksgiving, we come together to complain. That's right. To just gripe yep. about all the things that piss us off. Just vent it. Just vent it all out. I mean, we do that the other 364 days of the year, but on this one, we give it ceremony. Well, That's we right. formalize it. Here's what we do. We, of course, we have you know terrible, terrible foods for us to eat. That's because right. you got to have that. That's White nice. Castle stuffing. Literal thing, uh, Matt King brought White Castle <laughs> stuffing. It is That's stuffing right. made from White Castle hamburgers. And I felt like I gave the, brought the most important food item of all which was none which was none which was great for the griping yes right yes got kicked off yeah but we have uh, each year a festive bowl of wrath 
Right. Um, uh, th- this year's was fashioned by Tasha Lawson, who is yes. a, a very excellent craftsperson. And uh, what we do is we write on strips of paper things that we are angry about. Right. And then we toss them into the bowl of wrath. That's right. And then the wrath master, who mm-hmm. uh, this year was our, our esteemed colleague and staff member, Peter K. Lawson, he would draw from the bowl of wrath. Right. And the person who submitted it then had the floor to gripe. That's right. About this thing. That's wow. right. Um, we, we go through and we, we work it through. And then, of course, we have a closing where um, I... I uh, uh, sang the, uh, really, it's, it's a f- kind of prayer, hear our gripes, Lord. Right. Um, and we, we commit our gripes to the bosom of heaven, and right. uh, that's gripes giving. That's right. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty glorious. Yeah. By far and away, my favorite holiday of the whole year. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a blessing. Yeah. Well, I saw, okay. the, I, I saw the benediction on the Twitters. Yeah. And I appreciated, one, that you were dressed in a robe. Two, Thank that you. You were, you were really channeling, you know, Brother Maynard. Yes, uh-huh. yes. In the Book of Armaments kind of feel. It yeah. was really, it was really something. Thank you, sir. I, I was very pleased with the robe in that it was simply my wife's bathrobe turned backwards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, it worked for the moment. And that's the spirit of Gripes Giving. That's right. You know, so, uh, see, so yeah, it was right. a great time. We had a lot of people ask us how it went, and it was, you know, it was Gripetacular. Yeah. So, uh, you may be wondering, can you, this coming year, can you celebrate your own Gripes Giving? And the answer is no, you can't. We've yeah. trademarked it and copyrighted it, and that's we'll right. sue. That's We're right. litigious on this podcast. We will sue you. We will come after you. We we are the Disney of made up griping holidays, <laughs> and that is the spirit of gripesgiving. It, it really, really is. is. I think it's important. Let's, let's. I think it's important we continue to paint a picture for the people. So you may wonder what what kind of things do do you gripe about? Because we, uh, if if you do want to buy the say that gripesgiving starter kit available starting in October 2017, we'll be happy to license it to you. Sure, yeah, of course. Official, it's not a, it's not a one-time buy. This is a yearly license. Well, you got to pay the franchise fee. Yeah, absolutely. But if you, want, if you want to do it right, obviously you, you need your ball of wrath. Yeah. You need uh, anywhere from three to five total degenerates. Yeah. <laughs> we would rather do nothing more yeah. the day of Thanksgiving than really just stew in anger and hatred. Right. <laughs> but obviously, you, what kind of things? It's... The the key is the only limit is your imagination. Exactly right. That's right. We had right. both from Glenn and Jed uh, the names of no less than three major American church denominations. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that were put in in this format, which you can you can borrow at home. The swear word name of denomination. That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. For example, the gosh darn Methodists. Right. They actually didn't make the cut, they but it's an example of the form. Yes, yes that's very right. much so. But you never know. In 2017, they might make a showing. Oh, they right. yeah, they could be up in this thing. Yeah, they yeah. could get in the game. Oh, there's, it renews all the time. The key <laughs> thing right. is not to limit yourself. That's right. Because the thing is, you got to count your gripes. You do. Count your many gripes. Count your many gripes. Every day can be gripes giving. If. If you keep it in your heart. And that's what we aim to do, man. That's right. Yeah, the carry, spirit, carry with us the spirit of gripes giving all year long. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, we try and make, take time out of our day to connect with one another. Yeah. Invent our gripes. Gripes, man. Yeah. yeah. So on that, on that basis, I declare a very merry and don't call it happy holidays. Yeah. Because it's anything but happy. Yeah. A very merry gripes giving emergency off. That is the only legitimate reason I've ever heard to be angry about someone saying happy holidays. That's good. Uh, that, don't that's call it happy holidays. Yeah. 
I am happy. Gripes giving, man. <laughs> yeah, I like that's good. Don't get in my holiday and make it happy. Sure. Don't put your happiness on me. That's right. This, I, I got freedoms. You, you certainly do. <laughs> the you freedom to gripe that's is right. our most treasured liberty. That's why our forefathers uh, bled and died. And sure. what, well, what, is, what is the Declaration of Independence, if not a gripe at the monarchy? I think there was leeches. There was a lot of bleeding at the time. but I, do, uh, I don't think you have the timetable exactly right on that. There's some bloodletting. No, I think. I think you're a few hundred years kind of back of the whole revolution the, thing. Probably, but they bled. They, well, yeah, that's, they, that's certainly true. It would shave and bleed for our freedom. Sure. <laughs> it sounds think, less heroic when you point out the shaving. Yeah, so, so well, however they did it, the, is, we have a freedom. Sure. There's no doubt about it. Uh, so in the in the interest of the holiday spirit, I, I think even if we didn't tell you about Gripes Giving, you may get to uh, you may get a window into this organization's view of the entire season via this month's Bridgebox topic. And it's December. We have, you know, it's it's the Christmas bridge box. It's the, the color scheme is blue and green, and as we give, we have a very nice note saying, you know, thank you so much for the people who supported Bridgebox, and here's the and one more amazing thing that that uh, financial supporters allowed us to do, and we're so thankful. But then each Bridgebox has a topic. Yeah. Okay. It's like you know, how do I break out of habitual sin, or right. how do I? What's the point of church, or how do I do this and that? Now, he, I, I was going back through the other day, uh, kind of looking for some for stuff uh, on what our December Bridgebox topics have been. Yeah. We've had How Do I Deal With My Crazy Family. Yeah. And then there's this month. We've had actually had the first two Decembers that Bridgebox existed. The topic was an iteration on How Do I Deal With My Crazy Family. Yeah. And then this year we had a fab, How Do I Love People? That sounds very Christmassy. Who make it hard to love them. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you get sermons and songs, and we'll, we'll, play, we'll play them at the end here. A lot of good stuff. And as you do every topic, every month you get a lot of good teaching on a topic due to Bridgebox. And in December, you get that little extra. If maybe maybe you sit in your church and your small group and everybody, you know, they're, they're decorating. Everybody's got sweaters and you just hear about, oh, Cindy and the kids are going to come in. It's going to be del- delightful. We're so happy. And you think, am I the only one who hates everything about this month and it's right. awful? And right. you, if you get Bridgebox, you can. One more service we offer is the re- the reassurance that no, no, you're not alone. Right. It's you're impossible alone. for you to have a more socially unacceptable dislike of the Christmas season than we do. That's, <laughs> that's just one more true. gift to you. That's right. And if you don't, you're going to make the baby Jesus cry. That's Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Guilt. So missionsa.com slash Bridgebox, $8 a month. Will will the link now be a gif of a crying baby Jesus? Possibly. Possibly. If, we, if we can figure right. that out on the technological end, almost certainly. All right, we're going to jump it's, from it's that. It's less subtle as a guilt maneuver when Jet announces the word <laughs> guilt. I don't think a, anything <laughs> could make a guilt maneuver less subtle than literally quoting Rod and Todd Flanders. Yeah. Of you make the baby Jesus cry. Yeah. <laughs> and on that truly inappropriate note, yep. we move on to our first question. If you have a question for us, hang us all the way then. I'll give you some ways to get in touch with us. First question, our first two questions actually this week kind of come from the same email, but it's a very uh, good topic, and there's a lot of a couple of things going on there. So I kind of I wanted to split it into two. So we're going to start here. This person wrote into our email address anonymously and said, I felt the call to evangelism since I became a Christian. The conviction that sharing the gospel should be the primary focus of my life has led me to experiment with different methods. 
The best witnessing experience I've had was when a non-Christian friend and I hung out for an afternoon, and on their own, they asked me a lot of questions about my faith. But now, I work for a Christian nonprofit, and most of my social activities are at our church, so I simply don't know that many non-Christians anymore. I asked a friendly neighbor to coffee the other day, hoping to get to know them, and he turned me down, and I think he's avoiding me now. So, let's let's start there, and Glenn, I'd love to get you to kiss off here. So, this idea of just, how do I talk to people outside the faith— Mm-hmm. about my faith. Maybe that's maybe like some of us are the, our friend in the question, that's not a muscle we've ever actually had to work out or it's atrophied, right. but what are some basics on just how to do that? Well, I think for us, we we find where people are hungry, and those are the people we're talking to. Uh, that, generally speaking, is going to be uh, uh, people who are having struggles of some sort, and they're looking... They, they, their spiritual needs are essentially not met, so therefore they feel a hunger in that area, and they're looking for answers. So uh, that's where we're there to minister to them. I think that's probably what made things successful with this friend that you were describing, where she had a lot of questions, and she was sort of driving that process. Uh, that's actually similar to how it is with us. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, We will uh, find people that we know are, are having struggles, and we'll say, tell me your story. Tell me the situation. Let them kind of get into that, uh, uh, but but eventually they'll they'll begin to drive that process themselves and, and show their own interest, and and so we're essentially just answering questions and, and making that a conversation. That's ideal. Uh, I think um, it, it's about uh, looking for where those people are and, and figuring out where we can have conversation starts, but I would also quickly, before I pass it around to these other fellows, I would say I think it's worth also recognizing that when we're looking at ministering to people, there's there's your evangelism, which is we're, we're starting them on the journey of being uh, Christians, and there's the discipleship, which is everything where we're taking them from the very beginning of their faith until the point where they can share their faith with someone else, and they can do evangelism. So... Uh, if you're in a position where discipleship is more of the natural flow of things or what have you, uh, if you raise someone up to where they can share their faith with someone they know that is hungry, then you're doing that evangelism through that person. So it's it's not that it all needs to be you doing that evangelism uh, all yourself. And that's, in many respects, also how we do what we do, that if you come to the bridge, you I can show you two or three generations of I work with this guy who worked with this guy who worked with this guy and brought this guy to the meeting today. So I think uh, I would encourage you to uh, expand that view of almost an indirect evangelism, if you want to put it that way. I think that's a, a very good point. It, it kind of leads, it kind of uh, goes to this idea of, you know, uh, feeling that sharing the gospel should be a primary focus of a Christian mm-hmm. life. And that certainly is can be true. That's really true for a lot of people. But as you're saying, there's a lot of different aspects to ministry. And I think uh, evangelism, maybe because it is tied in some people's mind to getting more people to come to church, has this kind of very, this is the primacy thing, but that's not mm-hmm. necessarily the case. Right. And I think that idea of how important this is, Leon, I'd love to get you to talk about this, can also be problematic in the way we approach this kind of thing. Because if your idea is this is the main thing that you got to get people saved, you got to get them evangelized, that can lead to kind of a, as as our friend points out the question, that can lead to 
so, something unintentionally radiating off you, like you're the guy yeah. who needs to make a sale at this yeah. car lot right. to get it to go. And that's actually very counterproductive as well, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, like growing up in the church where I did, there was literally like conversations coming from people who were older than us, you know, Sunday school teachers or whatever about like, how many people did you witness to this week? And it was like a, it's like a pressure filled question for a little kid, you know? And you're thinking, what are you supposed to do? I remember a kid, um, I remember a kid in my middle school had like an evangelism <laughs> starter question written on his backpack. You know, wow. it was one of these things because oh, he wanted, don't be you know, I want people to talk to me about, ask me this question, ask me why, what, whatever the question was or whatever, because there's a lot of this feeling of this is what you have to do. Otherwise you're not legit. If you haven't witnessed right. to somebody, if you haven't shared your faith, then, then, um, are you ashamed of Jesus, Jed? Is that why you don't witness? Is that, is that the deal? I didn't think I was, but now that you're asking me that very accusatory question in that tone, I'm wondering if maybe I am. This is all very disturbing. Well, and that's the thing is like, is that there's exactly as Glenn's saying, there's so many different ways to serve Jesus. And there's so many different ways where people are being called into ministry. And not only is there, you know, outreach and discipleship, but there's also just like service and support and care and counseling. There there are so many teaching. There's so many different facets, uh, you know, to ministry in church, parachurch, all kinds of places. And, uh, you know, I, I think that it's, it's interesting. You're saying your question, I feel really called to evangelism, but like, uh, but now I'm in a situation where I'm, I don't have a lot of lost people in my life. And I would say that's something that, that's something that you do kind of have to go after intentionally. You heard Glenn say that, we target the people who have a lot of needs. And that's a really important point because the, the, the good news of Jesus is for needy people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the, the gospel is for people who need help. The gospel is for people who need to be rescued. The gospel is for people who need to start over. The gospel is for people who are cognizant of the fact that they need something. And one of the funny things about kind of the church these days is that what the the kinds of people that a lot of churches want, you know, sitting in their chairs on Sunday morning are the kind of people that, you know, are wealthy, have it all together, have the perfect little nuclear family and the awesome job with the 401k and the awesome brand new cars and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with those people. It's just that a, a lot of times that's a hard place for the gospel to make a lot of headway because they don't seem to have a lot of needs. And so that's one of those things where if I'm looking for lost people if I'm looking, if I feel called to evangelism, I don't have any lost people in my life. I want to do exactly what Glenn said is I want to look for people who have a lot of needs in their lives. A lot, I want to look for people who have problems that need to be solved, who have questions that need to be answered, who have struggles and who need help. And that's where I want to start. And so I think if, you know, like we're saying, there's a lot of different kinds of ministry, but if you are feeling called to evangelism, you do kind of have to intentionally put lost people in your life. And you mm. want to start with people that have a lot of needs. That's absolutely right. And Jed, let me get you to close out on this with a bit of a, a technique uh, issue here. And I, I go back to our friend's example of, you know, I, I hung out with this this friend and then they ended up asking me a lot of questions. And then there was, I basically tried to set up an evangelism appointment with someone that was super bad. Um, Again, we don't. We're not judging. We're not making fun of you on the podcast because that's that's exactly the kind of thing almost everybody tries to transition mm-hmm. into when they first kind of get fired up about this. But um, that first way that they mentioned uh, that didn't work as a fluke. That actually 
uh, is a better strategy. Yep. So Glenn and uh, Lee both talked about, uh, you know, being intentional about this, getting to people who need these kind of things. I think there may be a misconception that once you do that, then it's, you know, you, you set your watch and by the end of lunch, I need to have uh, gotten a salvation decision here yep. because right. it's evangelism time. Where do you come from on that of, I am meeting with someone I know is lost, but I'm going to let them drive the conversation. I'm going to be ready when it happens. How, how do you go about that kind of stuff? Well, I think there are, I think it's a great question. I, I would offer three points to look at. The first is the reason one thing worked and the other didn't is the one that worked was organic. Um, this is this is how people are. This was a friend. You had a friendship. You hung out. Stuff came up, and she asked you about it. That's that's the way things normally work. You know, what I mean, if you if if you go to your neighbor that you you know he's a friendly guy, but you guys don't really know each other, and you know you say, hey man, you want to get coffee sometime? I mean, it'd be easy for that to come off a little weird, and, and perhaps more for, for it to come off inorganic, for it to come off as kind of a you know a manufactured thing. So I think it's important to look for ways. I think it's important to look for ways to simply have non-Christian friends. Yeah, right. that you're you're not trying to minister to, you're not trying to evangelize. They're just friends that you have that are non-Christians. I mm-hmm. I think actually very few Christians, at least in America, have that. Mm-hmm. Have you yeah. know a circle of of, of friends that, um, um are you know just we're just friends you know mm. then the second is um to be really patient uh, the the yeah, thing is right. we ha- one of the problems with american culture and and thus with kind of american christianity is we want to microwave everything you know we want if it's not going to happen like in the next 5 minutes it's basically like it's never ever going to happen mm-hmm. and almost nothing important in life works that way mm-hmm. you know it's it's just that's that's not it then the final piece, which is actually, I think for a lot of people can be the hard one, but I don't, I don't think would be hard for you is you have to demonstrate to people, I can be cool about stuff. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. You, you have to demonstrate, I'm the kind of guy that doesn't judge people. I'm, I'm the kind of right. gal that doesn't look down on people. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of gal, yeah, I'm a Christian, but when somebody says a cuss word around me, I go, well, I, I never. I mean, I don't, right. I don't do it because... You're absolutely right, and I think it's worth pointing out that is one of those things that can take a lot of time. Yes, mm-hmm. you cannot prove that in one fell swoop. Right, that's right. Um, that's kind of the, someone will say something and you don't freak out, and then they'll try something bigger, and then they're yeah. you. You have to kind of constantly keep earning that. That's time mm-hmm. thing. To that point, I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you the punchline of a story, but then I'm going to tell you how we got there. I have a friend who is ragingly not a Christian, like. It would be hard to be more not a Christian than than the friend that I'm talking about here. And um, uh, some stuff went down here in the States about a month ago. You might have read about it in the papers um, that mm. was deeply, deeply upsetting to my friend. It, it was upsetting to all of us. Yeah. And um, uh, and so I, I, I see my friend and I say, well, you know, how are we doing? And we kind of exchange pleasantries for a couple minutes. And then my friend, a lady, looks at me and says, all right, say something. Say something to encourage me. This is your moment. Okay. Say something. <laughs> nice. That's and that's not me exaggerating. That's verbatim right. what my what my friend said to me. Right. And and I said okay. And then with a whole lot of help from the Holy Spirit, we talked about some spiritual stuff. And you know what mm-hmm. might we you know when when things in life look really bad, what do we do with that? And mm-hmm. perhaps where is God in the midst of that? Yep. And what do we do? Yep. It was great. It was fantastic. Now that's the punchline. That's the, we all want to see that happen. It's it's that's the the moment that you know that's that's the the payoff moment. The getting there was five years 
of seeing uh, my friend about once a month for a few hours and just hanging out and just being cool and right. her knowing that I'm a Christian, but I'm not bringing up any Christian stuff and I'm not right. trying to put any Christian stuff on her. I'm just, how are you doing? And how's the family? How's your dog? How's, mm. how's life? How's, how's everything? And just connecting and proving over a period of years, you can trust me to be cool about stuff right, right. in an organic, naturally occurring setting. That will work. There's no, there's no question about that. But I think the reason why we don't tend towards that is all of that runs opposite to what Christian culture says we ought to do and we ought to be aiming for. I think you're absolutely right on that. And I would, I would add to I've, when Jed said very few Christians have non-Christian friends, it's absolutely true. And also, this is part of kind of coming from as high school, college into ad- adulthood, is you have to you might be looking at a more flexible idea of what a friend is. Yeah, absolutely right. right. And this yeah. idea of there are people you run across in your town, in your life, who you're not friends in the sense of, as we're talking about here, you, 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 we sit down over a very earnest cup of coffee yeah. and exchange uh, life stories, yeah. as Christians want to say. But uh, it's the gal who cuts my hair. It's yeah. the guy at the hardware store. It is someone, as you're saying, I have regular interaction with yeah. who I... and. This uh, this applies to our friend in the question. It also applies. It definitely applies to the four of us here on this podcast. Um, whenever we see anyone with that kind of regularity, we we uh, the three of us up here go out to eat in the same places a lot because there's only so many places that are open at the times so we're looking to eat. Uh, even though it's third largest city in America, but that's that's going to be saved for next year's Gripes giving. <laughs> but so we tend to see a lot of the same kind of wait staff at places. And eventually, you see someone enough in America, they're going to ask you, "What do you do?" Yeah, and you tell them, "Well, you know, we do the th- we do a thing with the guys coming out of jail, and we plug them to church." So it's it's very evident that you are a Christian. Yep. So as Jed's saying here, if you have this is a way to flip kind of your uh, weakness to a strength here. If your job insulates you against kind of not knowing as many non Christians, it also has to put out on Front Street that you are on the Christian thing. Yep. So when you interact with these type of people, that is an opportunity to be cool over a long period of time that you can actually do some pretty good witnessing, right. even though again you have to one of the th- kind of the first things you have to let go of is as all three of these guys have pointed to in a certain way, of having a vision in your mind of what this looks like. Yep. I think again we're not picking on anyone in particular here, but a lot of Christian culture has this idea of painting in the details of what something should look like without any idea of the big picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You say something, you know, sketch me out a scene of sharing your faith with a non non-believer. And a lot of people I think would, could describe, you know, what the coffee shop is like and yeah. what they're wearing and the smell of the place and the words without any sense of, well, what got us from, you know, meeting a person to hear, Oh, is, you know, stuff. That's not the fun part. I don't want to, I don't want to think about that. And the more we can let go of some of those specifics, we can be open to more of these broad strokes. There's no doubt about it. And, and it's always good as a thought experiment to put your head into the other person's perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, suppose you, you had a friend who practiced Shintoism. How would you feel if they said, it's time for us to talk about Shintoism in you? <laughs> Where are you at with the Shinto sort of faith? a manufacturer type of way. Or, so, yeah. uh, you know, I know you got your life and things and whatnot, yeah. but Shintoism, what do we think? Right. Can right. I get you into that? What are yeah. we talking about, right. man? Stop thinking about what you're thinking about. Think about what I want you to think about. You and Shinto, what's the deal? Right. That you would not like that. Right, that would right. be. I mean, I mean, just to, to imagine that would be super weird and off-putting. Right, right. Like, of course, I, I, you know, you know, and and you wouldn't assume that because they didn't do that, they were ashamed of Shintoism. Right. Say right. like, no, it's just 
That's weird. You wouldn't do that to somebody. Right. Well, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right, right, you, right, would, right. you would rather that someone built a relationship with you and got to know you and said, right. hey, man, you know, I don't have all the answers, but there's a thing I've learned from my faith that says X, Y, Z, and maybe that's helpful in a situation that, that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You would appreciate someone treating you with that kind of civility and gentility and respect. Right. Go and do likewise. Right, right, right. That's right. Yeah, it's a fantastic point, Lee. Well, I was also going to say, it, and that's exactly right, and it also makes a lot of sense, and anybody that's done any evangelism can tell you this, it also makes a lot of sense to feel at one, si- at one time totally called to this and like you suck at it. Yep. Like Jed's saying, it takes a long time, it's, especially if you do it in, in kind of a relationship way, but it, it is very easy to feel like, man, I thought I was called to this, but... You know, I'm not, I didn't baptize 15 people this week, so I probably suck at it. Or even to feel like, man, I feel like this is an important part of my life, but like, I can't remember the last time I shared my faith with anybody. Hang in there. Um, We, we, you know, that's a completely normal thing to feel like, I don't know if I'm good at this or I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I think it's it's a fantastic point. And it ties exactly back into what Jed is saying. There's a a larger point in kind of uh, Christian stuff that we've been discussing a fair amount up here in some of our our work, which is um, just because you're right, no one cares. Yep. Right, right, right. We deal with that a lot in kind of our our line of work. And I know Lee does as well as pastor. You say someone have a conversation with him. Yeah, I understand you're worried about, as Glenn is saying, I understand you're worried about that. That's not your actual problem. Right. (laughs) If you you can do this, that I want you to do, that'll actually solve three problems back and that'll solve your problem too, which I don't care about and is dumb, right. but it'll solve that, I guess, if that matters to you. Right. And you just can't communicate that. E- no, no, even no. if you're right, yeah. and a person can acknowledge you're right, but I think this Christians get very uncomfortable. I think a lot of people, it's it's not an uncomfortable, it's not a comfortable idea that um, presentation matters. That's yep. right. Oh, and this yeah. kind of stuff. The way, Everything. This idea that um, it is true, it is in the Bible, that the word will not return void, that doesn't mean you can put things in whatever aggressive, weird, ham-fisted way you want, mm-hmm. and the other person just has to acquiesce. Yeah, let's not put that to the test to <laughs> yeah. see, because uh, some people seem like they're doing that. Yeah. Yes, and, but again, uh, I take it back, because uh, that is all good news, because the idea yeah. that um, you, ha- you have this thing and you have to go out there and slam it in, and if people don't respond, it means you're you're doing it wrong, you're not called to it. No, people, people are actually on their own thing. Yeah. That's... 85% of the reaction is going to have very little to do with you. The good news is that leaves you uh, leaves you room to focus on the things mm-hmm. you have control over that you can do to make it a better idea. There's no—Glenn's uh, been doing this a long time. Uh, Lee and Jed have been doing this a long time. Less so, but I've been doing this for a while. There's no If there was a magic sequence of words, we'd have found it by now. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's no such thing as that. So it's, it's a little bit messy, but that's that's the fun of it. That's where the Holy Spirit gets involved. That's, that's all good news. Mm-hmm. We move on to the second half of this question, which is a very important. It goes into a lot to kind of what all these guys were saying as far as the, where the church falls into this. My, our friend says, most of the evangelism techniques I learned growing up in church were very confrontational and extroverted. Those are nice words to describe what this person was probably taught. Yep. (laughs) They go on to say, as an introvert, I never felt comfortable doing them and no fruit really came from it. And Lee, you mentioned uh, in the answer to that first question there that you were raised in a specific church environment with the witnessing count and the how to do that. And obviously all that's a little, now you do this for a living. Uh, Have you found that those techniques are bad? Yeah, I actually do a weekly hell house. It's really uh, fruitful. There's nobody laughing at that. 
I don't even know what that is, dude. You don't know. Have oh, you ever heard of this? That must be no. a hell house. The, the Methodist oh, one down at the hell house. It just got Baptist. Oh my up gosh! Here. It's the, the Christian this... version of a haunted house. Yeah, we have to break this down now. This is a real. You not know, like a haunted house. I walk through like, oh, it's the chainsaw and distract yeah. But in this one, they walk through like, these are Democrats. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. What? That is the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> This is the best evangelism idea people have. This is an actual emergency we're having. Because yeah, I was like, oh, secondary Jed, emergency. Jed, the, the guys are going to love this, the actual hell house. But it's like, no, this is a real thing. In fact, my, one of my best friends, I had two best friends growing up, neither one of them believers. And one of them <clears throat> called me super freaked out, super pissed. And he should have been right after Halloween, because this church had put up a, a hell house thing on uh, uh, during Halloween. And he thought he was going to like a Halloween haunted house. You know, you go with your seventh grade girlfriend or whatever. Sure, zombies and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. And so, um, and and it was like a literal thing where they, they scared you about your future, like eternal damnation, and then ask you if you want to accept Jesus. And he was so pissed, but he wasn't just, he wasn't just pissed that they had done that to them. He was by, um, by relationship pissed at the idea that I believe the same things these people believed. And that's what he had to clear up with me on the phone. You know, this was like my seventh grade friend saying, you're not on this, are you? Because I thought we were friends kind of thing, you know? And so it's, this is a, no, this is, this is like real ideas that people have, you know, scare people into it or confront people about their sins until they, they crumble or, or whatever the thing is. And then, yeah, go ahead. And not only that, I just because we, before, before we move on, there's we have to put this in the proper context. This is not like weird idea. This is major churches and denominations putting money into this, and the guy who runs the hell house runs their outreach. Yeah. Dang, like that, dude. the dude who's going, I think we should do a hell house. Like, well, none of us, nobody else has an idea. Johnson, you're our outreach guy. Right, right. And that's how we got in the pitiful state we're in. Well, this wow. yeah. So this is a real this is a real thing. But you know, it's it, the the thing is is that it's like I I was I grew up in this environment where there were actual hell houses where there were the witnessing counts where there were the you know this you know the plans and everybody had the you know you were you were taught the the series of words to say and how to argue about evolution and how to argue about this and how to argue about that all these kinds of things and the the fact is is that my Christian life until I was 19 years old, was an outright fraud. I was a complete fraud my entire life. Until I was 19 years old, I was having some real problems, and uh, real to me, it was, a, it, was a, it was a big deal to me at the time, and um, left my church over it, super upset at the world, at everything kind of deal. And somebody in my town said, hey, there's this guy that you could call, and I think he would talk to you. Um, and so I called this guy. He met with me. This dude uh, started hanging out with me. He would uh, he would bring food for me. He would like we would eat together, and he would pay or he would bring food or whatever. And he listened to my problems, and he cared about me, and we became friends. and um, And that's the guy that changed my life. That that's when my life changed was when somebody cared about me. Amen. Man. Very slowly Amen. over a long period of time, somebody yep. that Tell served that. me, somebody that knew who I was, somebody that cared about what I was going. And here's, here's a, one of the things that I remember so much about that time in my life was I would hang out with this dude. And I remember he was a pastor in my town. And I remember saying to him, look, I know you're really busy. And he would say, no, I'm not, I'm not busy. 
He said, yeah. I, I, I love this. What we're doing right now, this is what I'm here for. And I'm not busy. He said, my life is full, but I'm not busy. And if you need me, this is why I'm here. And I never, ever got the sense that he was in a hurry with me. I never got the sense that he was looking around for the next thing to go to. He spent time with me. And I got to be honest, like when you're, when you're talking about this kind of, um, you know, I'm an introverted person everything, that's me too, man. Like I, when I walk into a store, I do not want to be sold. I do not want, I don't even want the employees to look me in the eye. Like that, I think Amazon Prime is the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. Like I don't even that. have to go to the store anymore for basic stuff. But like, so I know what you're on with that, but I can tell you this. Even an introverted person, even people that don't want to be sold, they want someone who cares about their problems. Right. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants to be listened to. Yeah. Everybody wants somebody that's not in a hurry to care about their life, their heart, their stuff, their issues, their fears, whatever that is. When you move into the life of somebody that has a bunch of needs and you take you, you take the time to listen to them and stuff. You, I mean, you can go ahead and pray about it. the Holy Spirit is gonna put you in a position to tell them the greatest news they've ever heard. But you know, like Jed said, it's gonna take time and stuff like that. But even an introverted person, e- even if you are and they are, there's somebody that wants somebody to care about them. Everybody wants to be cared about. Everybody wants to be listened to, and that's something you can handle. Amen. No doubt. Yeah. That is fantastic. And uh, Jed, I'll, go, I'll go to you on this. That there, I think. Uh, our friend is absolutely right in using the extrovert infert terms. Um, this is the rare occasion where someone has uh, written something Christian on the internet that uses those terms largely correctly. Sure. Um, but I think underneath that is this idea of uh, what, what I was brought up with as far as what evangelism is, is is inherent on, as Leah's pointing out there, the hard sell. Yep. You got to push, you got to ask, you got to hand them a thing, you got to, if you die tonight, the whole. Have you made your decision for Christ? Absolutely. The whole mm-hmm. shebang or bang. So the, the idea is, I think. Some of us have the idea that anything less than that is kind of uh, a a compromise, yeah. kind of half-assing it in a way that is not uh, true at all. There's there are different techniques or different ways to do it. So how do how do we find how do we go about the journey of finding a way to talk about our faith that fits who we are as a person? Well, let's start here. The people that really do that hard sell evangelism, I. Uh, we know them, and I'm going to tell you the stuff now that they keep very close to the vest. Mm. They have firm numbers on how often this works. Yep. Um, you know, when you do the hard sell, how often do people respond positively? Right. Glenn, would you like to clue the people in to what that number is? Uh, low. How low, Glenn? Real low. It's actually worse than the number I'm about to tell you, but let's say it's 1 in 10 that it works. Yeah, that's optimistic. It's orders of magnitude worse than that. It's orders of magnitude worse than that, but let's just say for a second it's it's 1 in 10. Here's the thing, and and you may note that the people who told you to do evangelism this way have never told you that. Um, And it's also worth pointing out, if we drew 1 in 10 people to Christ as part of our job, we'd all quit and get day job. Yeah, exactly right. Because that that we wouldn't be able to live with that low of a response. Exactly right, exactly right. Here's the other thing that the people that have told you to do evangelism this way are not telling you, is that the other 9 out of 10 people, and again, it's really more like 99 out of 100 people that they pull a stunt with, have been pushed farther away from God as a result of this. The net effect is not positive. 
you found a way to take good news, which is what the word gospel means, and right. go out and make the world a worse place with it. That's mm-hmm. quite an achievement. You must be so proud of yourself. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that we want to look at is people have put a hard sell on you. They've said, you have to go do what I do, but they actually haven't given you the information that you need to make an informed decision. They're trying right. to manipulate you. They, they, are, they are saying, if you don't do it the way I do it, you're a bad Christian. Well, there's a few things on that. First, they are not the arbiter of who is or is not a good or bad Christian. That's, right. that's not their call. Second, what do you know about it, Capone? Right. Um, uh, uh, your thing seems to be offending almost everyone you talk to. Right. That, that seems, uh, you suck. Right. So you, you don't get to tell me anything about anything. Right. Right. That's, right. that's right out. But the last thing is, it turns out, and this goes very much to the stuff that Lee was talking about just a minute ago, there are people aching for someone to sit and talk with them about stuff that will eventually get to this Jesus thing. Right. There, there are people in your life aching for you to be a listening ear on yes. their parents' divorce or yep. the layoffs at the plant or grandma is sick or I, don't, I just moved here and I don't have any friends. Mm. You have people, I guarantee you right now in your life, that are, they are calling out to whatever God they think might be listening. Wouldn't someone come and be a friend to me and listen to me as I try and sort all this stuff out? Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. I guarantee you that's true. And the thing is, if you'll do what, what Lee is describing, if you will go and be that friend to them and, and, and love on them and listen to them and, and be really the hands and feet of Christ to them, in due time, they will be happy to hear anything you want to tell them about spirituality. Mm, I guarantee yeah, that's it. Right. That's just that's just how this works. There's there's no and that's why Glenn is saying we would feel very weird if in our line of work we only saw a one in ten rate of success. Because right. if you go and you show people that love of Jesus and you show them that heart and you be a friend and a servant to them, um, they they want to know what's driving that. That's right. And but as you say, that's over a long period. That's of time over a as long well. period of time. Yep. Here's the other thing about it. it. You know, if you can dig it, and Matt is right. You, you've used your words properly. I would push back, and I would say to you, you're an introvert. That does matter. I think the thing you really don't like here is you've been asked to force things on people. Mm-hmm. Um, extroverts don't like that either, dude. Right. Uh, that's n- right. Nobody wants to feel only like, sociopaths like that. Only sociopaths are comfortable forcing things on people. Right, that, right. And that's the part I think that you really don't like. It turns out there are opportunities right now today where people are coming and saying, I am here because I want to hear about Jesus. Mm-hmm. That That's why I am here. For example, we all work, uh, all of us actually do ministry behind bars. When you do a chapel jail service, everyone who comes to that service is saying, I am here because I want to hear more about this Jesus thing. Right. Would, would someone, I'm not even here necessarily to talk about my problems, although they certainly want that too. I'm here directly because I want to hear about this Jesus thing. There's a jail where you live. Right. I guarantee it. I mm-hmm. guarantee it. If you want to be in an environment where people, you're not forcing anything on anyone. They're just saying, I want someone to tell me Jesus-y things. You can start going and do that right now. We, right. we can hook that up. But again, the, I don't think you have a problem with evangelism. I don't even know that all of this really is about introversion. I think you've had people manipulate you into believing that if you don't do this one incredibly poorly thought out thing that's actually more <laughs> destructive than it is helpful in exactly the way that they do it, then you are a bad Christian and Jesus is mad at you. Right. right, um, right. We want to take that shame off of you right now. Every part of that is wrong. That's right. Every part of that is a lie. The, the, I know you feel, you're going to hear these words as I say them. You feel in your chest a pull to help people who are hurting. Right. You see people are going through a rough time and you wish you could do something to help them. I know you do. 
that is the Holy Spirit inside of you. Mm-hmm. Follow that lead of the Holy Spirit. Go love those people and let the Holy Spirit, whose job it is to convict of sin and to save, do the work of getting those people into a place where they want to talk to you about Jesus-y stuff. Right. That is really fantastic stuff. Glenn, I'd love to uh, get you closer on this. Uh, but, but let's, I, as, I think uh, Jed's exactly right, but let's look at this introversion extroversion thing. So I think there's another right. uh, thing underlying this, this uh, particular aspect of this question here, which is uh, both, an eva- both evangelism, may, maybe as we're pointing out here, evangelism is where a lot of this stuff uh, gets kind of more, uh, more sharply put in contrast. Mm-hmm. But all, all church stuff, I think there is this kind of idea that in order to do this, you have to want to be on the mic. You have yeah. to uh, love talk, love nothing more than talking to strangers. Right. You've got to have that very kind of life of the party um, atmosphere. And there, there are some things that uh, would belie that. We, we, we were uh, you particularly uh, lectured a fair, fair number of kind of seminary stuff. And mm-hmm. there, there are some people, and there's nothing wrong with it. But it's not the whole. But there's a certain subset of people who uh, they were the superstar kid in youth group who just loved right. youth group and led worship and w- right. brought everybody to youth group and they love that. And then they decide I want to go to seminary. Then they go to a Christian college and then they decide seminary and it, they're happy as a pig and slop and all that stuff, which is great. But that's by no means the only way to do that. But I think right. we get this idea that in order to do ministry, to reach out to people, you have to have this one very specific type of personality. And I yep. think that's another thing we should push back against here. Absolutely right. Uh, I think uh, it, it, from where I'm sitting, I've, I've done uh, a pretty decent amount of ministry in very difficult circumstances where it's, you know, uh, it's challenging physically, you know, physically challenging environment. I can tell you that from everything that I know about ministry, uh, introverts ought to be a lot better at it yeah. than extroverts. Yeah. I can't. I can't think of a single reason why an extrovert would be better at ministry than an introvert. Uh, I. I don't know that anybody who's lost and hurting who really wants, uh, 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 you know, to dig in and solve that problem and figure out where is God in all <laughs> this and how do I make a connection. I don't think you want a bubbly you know, flitting social butterfly who's bouncing around and saying a bunch of platitudes or trying to, you know, run you through some sort of systematized thing that they have laid out. Uh, Here's the thing. First and foremost, if you're going to minister to me, you need to listen to me tell you what the problem is here. I think you're absolutely right. Could could part of this, to go back a step, come to uh, a need to define ministry here. That's right. Because if if we think of ministry as... Uh, getting people in a room yeah. and having them uh, the, a high number of people in the room and having them have fun and leave with positive feelings, which there's actually nothing wrong with that. And that's, you know, if you're going to have a, a church or a parachurch organization, you really do need that aspect of mm-hmm. it because it's it's got to be a thing. But that's not necessarily the ministry piece. Right. And certainly not the whole of the ministry piece. Definitely not. I, I get more, I do a lot of speaking, as you say. I get a lot more done one-on-one than I ever do speaking anywhere. Yes. So I... I could cut that out. I wouldn't miss it. It wouldn't hurt my ministry. I'd just as soon do without it. But here's the thing is ministry is anything that moves someone closer to the Lord, mm-hmm. anything that moves them closer. It could be a teeny tiny step. We could be from I'm a total atheist to now maybe I'm thinking about it. You have ministered to this person. Yep. We've moved forward. And that begins with listening, and listening does give them that sense of confidence in what in what we say. If you're a good listener because you you tend to be a quiet person, you are a thousand times better at uh, being able to accomplish ministry than an extroverted person. So 
you know, also in my mind, you're 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 working because uh, this is the same person from our first question, and uh, uh, she's talking about there about working for a Christian nonprofit. That's bound to give you a lot of cool things that you can talk about, and you can sort of weave a bit of a witness into that. So, mm-hmm. for example, uh, you know, you're sitting down with your friend who's not a Christian, and they're saying, how did your day go? Well, I had this challenging situation where I had this person, and they're stuck in this certain situation, and I try to get them some help with the social service agency and so forth, but I really felt like they were at, loss, at, at loose ends, and they'll say, well, what did you tell them? I said, well, it's spiritual stuff, so I don't know if you'll, you know, click with all of it, but here's the basic outline of what I told her, you know, that God cares about you, whatever, whatever and the, he's there for you in this situation. And, and then you run through mm-hmm. some of the basic ministry things that you're telling these people, but you're putting that out there and just giving, that's not really a direct uh, evangelism pitch or something, but what it is is doing the stuff that both Lee and, and Jed were t- describing, a sort of giving a feel for how that conversation would go mm-hmm. when that person's ready and they're interested. So those kind of things can plant little seeds. The last thing is, uh, uh, part of what uh, we're talking about here is finding a way to do this without being manipulative and also without being intrusive. Mm-hmm. And introverted people are much better at that. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that would come naturally to them. I, I think I may have mentioned parts of the story before, but I was speaking in, in sort of a large, well, fairly large uh, church, and there was a person in the audience that, that I'm not going to mention their name and name drop, but it's a person that you might know. Particularly if you're familiar with the medium of podcasting. <laughs> okay, and this person is known to not be Christian. So uh, I thought it would be really hilarious to to mention that during my talk and then jab my finger at, at this particular person in the audience. <laughs> Who we may know is a friend of yours. That's so. right. That's it. And then I said, uh, you know, look at him, look at him. There he is. And after after I'm done with this, I'm going to make him buy me a cheeseburger, and I'm going to corner him and tell him all about Jesus. And everybody laughed, and it, it was clearly a joke. Yeah. I you know, I mean, I'm going to tell him a little bit of something, but you know, you know, uh, not like that. That's like the that. joke is no one would do that. That's right. And he, I, I vividly remember we were walking out, and he grabbed me and said, "You should never joke like that." I said, "Well, I think everybody knew it was it was a joke." He's like, "Yeah, but you're always so nice about it. Don't don't say it like you're you're you're." Forcing it on me, I I like it when you tell me all that stuff, even if I'm not down with it yet. I'm like, well, okay, you know. But it, it, I think it really made that point of sometimes we describe stuff in terms of our interactions and witnessing and stuff, where we're describing it in sort of a, a technical language, we're sort of giving the big broad strokes, but we're not exactly capturing the mood of those conversations mm-hmm. and the patience. And this, the 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 buildup of those mm-hmm. moments and so forth, uh, because we are incredibly uh, uh, sensitive and sweet. We are uh, those of us on this podcast are very uh, n- non uh, uh, in your face kind of people about gentle this kind of is stuff. the key word. Absolutely, mm-hmm. the Bible says always be ready to give an answer for the hope you have, but to do so with gentleness and respect. And I think. I hope, I pray, everyone that's been ministered to by us would say both of those things were were 100%. Absolutely right. You, you make a very important point there about uh, the kind of 
the necessity of things like listening and things that uh, people who have been told they might not be the the superstar churchy people. And I, we're going we're to try to get away from the introvert extrovert thing again because uh, even though our friend in the question uses it exactly right, it's a wi- wildly misunderstood kind concept. of concept on the internet, yeah. and it comes loaded and mm-hmm. you know, introverts or uh, extroverts just want to run around smacking people in the face. Introverts just want to sit and read poetry about saying, we're maybe getting a little more extreme here than necessary. Right. But there, there's a certain type of like, image of this is the kind of person who, uh, again, maybe large membership churches or parish organizations want up front who are very charismatic and very, you know, uh, well-spoken and have a lot of energy. And there's nothing, and we also don't want to say that those type of kind of big personality people can't do good one-on-one ministry. I've, I have know a number of people personally, who are huge personalities and great up front, and they're great one-on-one, but it is a an extra level of effort. It's kind of the flip of that paradigm, you might assume, yeah. of this quieter person actually has some natural gifts towards ministry, where this kind of more boisterous person actually has to tone some things mm-hmm. down. That's right. The, the That's key right. thing is that there, there's a room for all of it mm-hmm. in right. there, but uh, and that all goes to, to outreach as well. So I hope that helped. There's a lot of very, very good stuff on that. We'll move on to our last question here. This came in as well anonymously to our uh, email address, and it says, My wife and I have a rough history with her folks. They didn't want her to move to marry me, and they didn't attend our wedding. We've done our best to set healthy boundaries while keeping the door open for a relationship with them, but it's been three years since we've seen them. She talks to them on the phone, and it's fine, as long as I don't come up. I guess we just want your input about whether we should make a move to change anything at this point or whether we should stand fast. And Jeff, I'll go to you first on this. A little more background because it was, it was a longer email. And I didn't want to include all of it for a number of reasons. But basically, I think the main question here, and I think it's a universally applicable question. We talk a lot about, on the podcast about setting boundaries, mm-hmm. which is very important. And our friends in the, or the email have done, done a great job doing saying this is this is unacceptable behavior. You can't. Uh, I left out there was uh, also uh, they – uh, didn't like her uh, moving to marry me. So when they told her, they yelled at her a bunch and then ignored the invitation to come to their daughter's wedding. Way to go, Christian parents. Yep. Mm. But this idea of, okay, we set the boundaries. How do we know when it's time to move on that, to expand that? So uh, basically we have a situation here where we say we, we set the boundaries and they're doing the letter of the law on that. Right. They have not misbehaved more. Mm-hmm. nothing's really gotten better. Right. It's been three years. Do we give them more rope? Yeah. Do we hold Pat? How do we know when to move on with that? And where would you start us off with that? Man, that's a great question. I should say for the folks that wrote into us, I'm so sorry for what you're dealing yeah, with. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, if it helps, I can personally relate to basically every point you describe. Uh, but I'm I'm sorry. And it sounds like you guys are doing a, a tremendous job. I'm I'm really proud of you, actually. The question I would have you ask yourselves about your situation, but I think this applies to all of our listeners that are facing difficult uh, relationships in their lives, particularly with family members, is to ask this question. Is this relationship capable, realistically, of being better than it currently is? Right. Repeat that question. Right. Is it realistic to think that this relationship could actually be better than it currently is? Mm -hmm. Better might mean that it's more intimate and more uh, engaged. Better might mean that it's less damaging. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, just in some qualitative sense that it could be better 
than it currently is. Uh, that's something to think through. In, in your case, that's definitely something to talk with your spouse about. That's something to pray and seek wisdom from the Lord about. That's something to seek wisdom from other people, but that needs to be people who, who have a track record of successfully counseling difficult family situations. Right. In, in other words, Christians generally, their response to everything is, well, it'll all, it'll all get better. It'll be great. Right. Just have faith. Just put up with it. Exactly right, which is not the right Everybody answer. Everybody was a little wrong. Everybody was a little wrong, <laughs> You sure. invited them to their wedding. They didn't come to your wedding. We all made mistakes. Right. Did you ever think about your choice of invitations? Maybe that was a factor. Right. 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 It's, font is important. Font matters. Uh, that That's not it. But again, that key question, can this really realistically be any better than, than what it is? Here's why that matters. If it can be better than it is, and there's something we can do about that, then let's put a strategy in place to take those steps, right? So the reason that most people need to set boundaries is because this relationship can be better by being less damaging than it currently is. That's mm-hmm. the classic reason why you start setting boundaries. So if we say no... I can imagine, you know, something where they don't cuss me out every time I talk to them. Well, then, yes, let's move in a direction that will lead to them not cussing you out. That's that's great. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. There are from time to time relationships that are maybe kind of wooden and kind of shallow where we can think of a way to get a bit more engagement and, and mm-hmm. you know, a bit mm-hmm. more uh, positive interaction. Great. Fantastic. That's fine. You know, let's 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 float it out there, you know, see what happens. But if we've got a situation where these are extremely dysfunctional human beings and we are able to have some degree of semi-regular interaction and um, they are able to not be – we've kept the damage to a minimum in those interactions and it's not – likely to really get any better than than that is than it currently is then the thing to look at is the the kind of two-pronged approach one of acceptance just mm-hmm. this is where we're at uh, and yeah. we need we need some serenity from the lord to to accept it to take a hold yes. of that yes um but the other prong of that uh, which can't be neglected as part of it is mourning Mm-hmm. Um, and it is morning. There is a relationship I would like to have with these people that they are some combination of unwilling and unable to have. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And right. that super sucks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because that's really, I, I would guess, brother, that's what you're looking at here. In other words, you guys have done a good job of getting it to a place where it's no longer damaging. We're no longer actively being wounded by these people. And again, mm-hmm. that's where what we're generally starting with in most relationships that need boundaries mm-hmm. is I am being wounded by this relationship. Therefore, I need boundaries in place to stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. We, we've done that. We actually have some degree of, of interaction here. My guess, I could be wrong. Pray about it. Talk to your spouse. We have to talk to you offline. My guess is it's unlikely there's a lot we could do that'd be much better mm-hmm. than it currently is given other details of the situation. We need to give ourselves permission to mourn the fact that this yeah. super sucks. Mm-hmm. That that we've gotten to a to a place that we have a place a sense of stasis, but man, does it suck! Mm-hmm. And 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 mm-hmm. gosh, it shouldn't have to be this way. And and it sucks for my wife, and it sucks for me, and it's just awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't want any Christian coming along telling me to just have faith will all get better because right. it's been three years and it hasn't, and it sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That grieving process, that mourning process, is part of how we get acceptance and serenity. In order to deal with the situation, right, right, that, right, that and that's the thing before us. But that starts with asking realistically: Can the situation actually be made better than mm-hmm. than what it is? Key thing is: We're sorry for the trouble. We love you. We believe in you. We're proud of you. That's totally right. That's the place you kind of have to start with this. And Lee, I'd love to get you to take a look at another aspect of this, which is uh, Jed kind of touched on it there: the timing aspect. Um, you, you've obviously been married for a while, as the other guys in this podcast. You've also been dealing with people 
kind of in diff- various tough family situations. And I think uh, when we're younger, when we're first trying this out, the idea that um, three years could have gone by and nothing has really moved is that can play with your head. And there's a, well, clearly yeah. we did something wrong if this hasn't been yeah. three years, or does that mean it'll never move? I think the idea that um, Christian parents could throw a, a three to five year long tantrum in this is not conceivable to people who haven't witnessed that. But how much of this is an, as folding those ideas Jed was talking about into looking at the long game on this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, as you're saying, this is a siege, you know, this is a, this is a, a very long, drawn out temper tantrum. We do, um, we do recommend a trebuchet. Yes, if always. You can bring that in in any way. Big pot of burning oil. Yes, please. Um, yeah, I, I think that. I think a couple of a couple of things that occur to me is are that uh, one, um, a lot of people, you know, undervalue um, the the you know having a completely superficial shallow relationship with certain family members yeah a hundred percent you know that this is a this is a thing that when you're young it seems like that would probably be the worst thing in the world if i had like a superficial relationship with my parents that you know we've we've always been so close or whatever and now they're being such complete barbarians and so you know what am i supposed to do about it well sometimes you 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 look at situations like this and with completely misbehaving family members and you have to realize you know what? We're gonna we're gonna dial all the way back out of this thing. Say hi and wave at Thanksgiving, and that's gonna be basically it. You know, and and sometimes that happens. And and I gotta be honest with you, we you know there there are extended family members that we have in our lives and that we have friends who who have in their lives as well. And they've gotten to the place where they realize the boundary that we've set up is we don't do anything other than superficial. Hey, how's everybody do- going? And you know, h- how are things and blah, blah, blah. We don't go anywhere beyond yep. that. Yep. And, Weather, and, and sports, traffic. Yeah. That we are realizing this is where we live and that's okay. Now, part of that is exactly what Jed said, the acceptance and the morning. I think that what happens for a lot of young folks in particular is it's very difficult to accept the fact that, I, I, I can't really be close with my parents anymore. Or, mm-hmm. and this is a harder one, my parents aren't who I thought they were. Mm-hmm. That's a very mm-hmm. difficult thing to deal with. But you have, there are times in certain relationships where you have to get to the place where you say, this is not tenable. Now, if, if, if what you're looking at is a situation where you're cool with the superficial and everything, but your wife is not, you know, and she either wants like this legit, close dear relationship with her parents and but she also wants the boundary then you may not be able to get that you know and 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 as to jed's point you may have to go farther on this and say then we if you can't acknowledge my marriage and all that kind of stuff and you can't be civil when my husband comes up who is the biggest part of my life then we can't do this Mm -hmm. we we can't have this kind of communication exactly as jed said we would have to parse through all of that kind of in an offline conversation, many conversations and stuff. But one of the big questions here is what relationship is tenable and workable for your wife yep. emotionally? Yep. What, what is she looking for? Can we, can we accept the idea that a superficial relationship is, is going to work? Um, for a lot of relatives, I, you know, I've gotten to the point in my life at my age where I'm like, I'm fine with it. Sure. I'm totally mm-hmm. fine with the superficial means nothing to me relationship and I can be civil. I can put a big smile on. 
I can do the small talk with the best of them, you know? And, you know, it, that's all fine. Put on some music and, and let's have some good food and we can make it through just about anything. I'm totally fine with that. If you, if you can't look at that, if, if, you don't want, if, if your wife doesn't want that kind of a thing, if you don't want that kind of thing with your parents, but they're not willing to budge on some of this stuff, that's when you may need to look at ramping things up a degree. But I think, you know, I think the difficult thing for some of us to face is the idea that, like, is this really where we are? Mm-hmm. Is this are are my parents really like this, or are or is my are my aunt and uncle really like this? Is is this are my grandparents really these people? Sometimes you have to face that. It's the hardest thing about it. Is well, I don't want to not have a relationship with my parents. That wouldn't be workable. And as Jed's saying, actually, that would be better than yeah. this. Yeah. And those mm-hmm. are the kinds of things that are tough. But those are the kind of questions you have to ask. Yeah. I think that's really really good stuff. And uh, Glenn, I'll get you to close us out here with kind of. Uh, to, kind of sum all this up we have the idea here of wanting it to get better there's mm-hmm. which there's nothing really wrong with right but then facing the reality that um this is currently where we are and having that acknowledge and some of that i think uh, our friends are doing it uh, absolutely right here maybe without knowing it uh you you talk about ministry principles as far as putting thing putting the ball in someone else's court yep leaving the door open that kind of stuff i think that's really what we need to apply here right it is i think ultimately uh a, it's hard for us to feel Christian when our families are acting this funky and we're separating ourselves from them. Mm-hmm. That doesn't feel like a Christian thing to do. For some reason, drawing boundaries is not Christian in, in our uh, Christian culture. I don't know who started that, but uh, uh, wish they hadn't. wasn't Jesus. Uh, that's right. Uh, here's another thing is that if you try and share this kind of grief with other Christians, you get a lot of, well... Have you tried, you know, yeah. that thing we we're talking about They've before? They've got to you know, fix it. Yeah, is this is this maybe you, you know, uh, which is horrible. So, you, you know, they are reinforcing the wrong thing on that. And I'm with these fellows. If it's as good as it can get, that's it. You know, quit while you're ahead. Uh, let it be shallow, and that's fine. But I think part of what we're looking at here, as Lee is alluding to, is this is pretty dysfunctional now. And I think it may be worth trying to get a sense of, is this something that's just a, a something they're stuck on that they don't know how to get off of, or is this a real pathology? Mm-hmm. This is a poor mental health mm-hmm. thing that we've wandered into here. Uh, because I, I'm going to read this back to you. My parents want to control everything down to where I live, who I marry, the circumstances of my married life, and we'll pitch a fit if they get told no. And they will, yeah, they will cut off any or all interaction if they don't get exactly what they want from yes. their grown child. Funky. That is not going to fly regardless. So that's, that's just, that's not healthy. That's not normal. Yeah, and that's not an eccentricity. That's not a step, oh, that's not a single step over the line. That's, oh, mom and dad really care a lot. They have fun with showing it. That is dysfunction. That's right. So what we're dealing with is either it, this is a, you know, actually a mental health issue that we're struggling with here. And, you know, if they're old enough, that could be an age-related sure. thing or, you know, a, a senility-type thing. Who knows? And that still doesn't mean the answer is just put up with it, but it That's does right. uh, affect the way you go about dealing That's with right. it. That's right. So the only other thing that we can try is, is to, first of all, recognize the ball's in their court. It, this is up to them. Mm. It's not up to you. Yep. It's not up to you to create opportunities. It's up to you to forgive them, to keep mm. that bridge up, 
and to be ready when they come back across it. And you have to ask yourself today, if they said, let's all be friends, if you'd feel cool about that right now, because there's some, been some wounding here. Uh, we may be trying to get the relationship back together uh, so earnestly that we're forgetting that we're actually not ready on our end for sure. that just yet. But I think the third thing we want to look at is um, to to sort of test the waters on is this something they're stuck on they just don't know how to get off of. Mm. Sometimes people get their heels dug in. It becomes a pride issue. They feel like they can't back down from it and whatever have you. Um, and, and some smaller, more manageable problems, uh, mental health problems, are almost a self-hypnosis yeah. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It's the only way I can mm-hmm. think of to describe it. Sometimes people just talk themselves into yeah. their own bizarre little viewpoint, and they just can't get off of it. I don't, you know how in the movies, when you, when you go to the movies, and there's a scene where the guy that's on the ledge, and he's going to jump, and the, the, the fire department's there and everything, whatever. And they find a girlfriend, and they put her on the mm. bullhorn and say, you know, don't do it. You have so much to live for. Uh, here's the thing. In real life, they never do that. Yep. Because uh, the, the as the story goes on that, if you put the girlfriend on the bullhorn, that's the mo- exact moment that guy leaps off the ledge mm. every time. Because this is the this is the whole drama of it. Yeah. Uh, guys who 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 specialize in dealing with suicides like that will crawl out on the ledge, sit down next to the guy, and say, "Are you a Bears fan or what?" I mean, can you believe this, Jay Cutler? I mean, he's throwing interception left, right. We're paying him all this money. I mean, am I right or am I right? And it just breaks the spell yep. of what mm-hmm. they're in. Now they're on to something. It's not escalation, not more yep. drama. That's right. So, it, you know, I think you can test the waters with stuff, as, as these fellows are saying, that's a little bit more shallow. Uh, but but maybe it just will help, you know, help them change that channel. If they're not going for that, I think you've got a pretty clear indication it's a dysfunctional thing, and the separation is actually good for you, and in a sense, it's good for them. They don't want to be doing damage in your life yeah. uh, in their deepest heart of hearts, and if they're dysfunctional people, they're going to do that. Just to jump in real quick, because I, I agree with every word you're saying. From time to time, uh, most really messed up relationships, it will make sense to float something out there mm-hmm. along the lines of the kind of canceling the ho- hypnosis and seeing, does this work? Right, right. We right. want to do that in a smart way where we're not right. kind of opening the door to abusive behavior or weirdness. Exactly. But it's the olive branch. That's right. It's that's a, right. That's right. Pick this up if you want to. That's right. And if they do, fantastic. That's, that's wonderful. Right. You know, we can figure out where we go from there. And if they don't, it's like, okay, well, that's that's what we're that's what we're doing with. Yeah. But there's also a lot of peace for you on the other side yes. of both you and your wife can know. We are on a semi-regular basis extending an olive That's branch, right. you know, make, it. making it clear, yeah. you know, we're here for when you climb, right. out, climb out of the crazy yeah. tree. So, you know. And that's, that's a lot. That's, that's all you need to feel like you should have to do. That's as Christian as anyone you could bet. expect you to be. You bet. Yeah. I think that's all really good stuff. I think the, the olive branch is an important point that you guys are making at the end there, which is one of the worst strategic things someone can do in one of these situations is let their desire for this to get better, uh, make them try to uh, jump 10 steps above what the that's person right. can handle. Yeah, yeah that's right. Because And it's, it, it's, it's a perfectly understandable idea because the, the basic uh, binary, the basic situation we have here is someone saying they haven't behaved worse mm-hmm. than the initial 
horrific yeah. misbehavior. Mm-hmm. So does that earn them points? <laughs> no. And the answer is no. It earns them th- that we don't have to tighten down the boundary. That's yeah. right. I don't stop calling you once a month because you haven't done anything to deserve and that. And maybe they're controlling it, so maybe try an olive branch thing. Yeah, and you, yeah. Can make, and you can make an offer. You can, you know... Yeah. I'm gonna well, will I'm gonna two phone calls a week now, and I'm gonna talk about the thing. But um, particularly as this we're entering the Christmas season, one of the dysfunctional families love Christmas more than anyone. They really right. do. That's right. Why don't we all get in a room and pretend we don't hate this? Right. right. So together. I would guess that there may be a thing. We as as Glenn's described this dynamic many times with his in laws. We hate you. We don't want you around. You disgust us. We had everything you're about. Why, why didn't Glenn want to come to Christmas and just That's hang right. out? Why <laughs> indeed, Glenn? Why right. indeed? We just fight like cats every year, and it's like he's never here. What's the deal? Yeah. And I think I, I would imagine there may be an aspect of that of, well, in the midst of these uh, incredibly tense phone calls where we ignore the fact that your husband exists, we'd really love to see you guys for Christmas. You guys could just come up here and be here. Yeah, that'd be and great. That is a thousand times beyond what these people based on this email have given any indication they can handle to go back oh, to yeah, that no started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The and that doesn't do anybody any favors to do that that level jump. We we talked there this is in uh, the idea of a long process. That's we can do a couple more phone calls. Uh, we can be on the phone call together because I do actually have a husband who exists. Yeah. If that all goes super duper well, you guys can come down here. Maybe for a non-holiday, non-high-pressure weekend. For a 24-hour visit. Yeah, where you have a hotel room, and there's right. a 24-hour visit, and we boot you at the end of 24 hours. Yeah, the, right. the test balloon should be, should as you're saying, the test balloon shouldn't be based on your emotional hopes for the, oh, but right. like, really baby steps. I mean, here's a yeah, picture it, of me and my real, husband. How do you a, respond? It's a bit of a cliche in sometimes, but uh, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Yeah. Just to jump in real quick, here's an actual thing. I was doing some counseling with a person had... Uh, some similar situations to what you're describing. And the thing that we came up with is, um, and not a lot of contact with the family, we're going to send some postcards just saying, here's mm. how we're, you know, I'm doing well. I hope, I hope you're doing well. Yeah. Um, you know, is, is no one could possibly take offense at this. Um, and nearly all of those postcards were not returned. Um, the, the ones that were the, within the first line, it was guilt and accusation. Right. So that lets you know where you stand. That lets you know where you stand. It's the kind of thing where it, it doesn't cost you any money, doesn't really cost you any time. It's it's a relatively small mm. outlet. It's a small olive branch, which is the right kind of olive branch. Right. And and the the point is just are we still on crazy? Oh, we are. Okay. That's right. And the expectation should be Probably I'm assuming we we're still on crazy, but That's just it. in case. Just in case. We'll try it out. That's yeah. absolutely right. I'll close this out. I think it goes back to a very, very important point that Glenn made of uh, a lot of this does not feel very Christian. Yep. Right. Um, and that has to do with, again, uh, tied in ideas about family and hearths and fires that don't actually have anything to do with Christianity. They're entirely uh, cultural. The the bare bones of this are what we're, what we're telling you to do are as Christian as it gets, because there is someone who has... Uh, Without any, uh, it is non-negotiable. It is there's not two sides to it. They wronged you. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. They Mm -hmm. treated you in an uncool way. They wounded you. Mm -hmm. So for you and your wife to say, we are willing to the extent you are willing to receive it, to move on and repair this, if you're willing to 
be an active part of that. That's mm-hmm. as Christian as it gets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's super Christian. It's not Christian to say, well, what are you going to do? We'll just go all be miserable, because that's probably what Jesus wants. That's not actually... That's the, <laughs> That ain't it, man. To really Bonhoeffer it, that's an idea of cheap grace. Yes, it is. Yes. What we're yeah. talking about is saying, we're willing to... as you, you, All the guys in this show have done, had to do... I'm willing to. We're lo, willing to let bygones be bygones. We're mm-hmm. willing to say it's a whole new day, and mm-hmm. but we're going to do that in a realistic fashion. We're right. not going to jump in anything half cocked, and that's that's a very important way. And we know you have to do that. And as all these guys mentioned, uh, we're more than happy to talk to you offline. You can email us or email these guys individually if you want to get in touch with us. If you have a question? That's thebridgechicago.tumblr.com or say that podcast at gmail.com. Tell us song this week. It is the holiday season. We're not a big holiday music crowd, to be entirely honest. But we do have some awesome bridge blocks, uh, Christmas songs we've created over the years. We start off this week with uh, the Pool House Guru version of the classic Angels We Have Heard on High. This is a very cool track, which you are going to dig. We're going to take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Say that podcast, your weekly source for Fitchville information and uh, Jesus stuff. We have heard on high Sweetly singing o'er the plain And the mountains in reply Echoing their joyous strain Yeah.